Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Improv comedy. It's short for improvisational comedy. Podcasts about improv comedy, just like podcasts about stand-up comedy, exist. I'd like to talk to you about a podcast about the former. Improv comedy. Just pay attention, please. Liverpool Comedy Improvcast is the podcast I'll be talking about. Did you know Whose Line Is It Anyway started in the UK? Did you know that? The United States just stole it. We just took it. Okay, back to the Liverpool Comedy Improvcast. It's hosted by Ian Luke Jones, and he talks with improv artists about improv. He talks about how it helps them express themselves, how it helps them with public speaking, and also how it helps them with mental health issues. It's really a great show, and Ian does a fantastic job as an interviewer by asking great questions and getting great content and stories from his guests. I try a British accent here, but that would just embarrass us all. So what I'd like you to do is type in Liverpool Comedy Improvcast, and Improvcast is all one word, so that's Liverpool Comedy Improvcast, all one word, into your favorite podcast app and subscribe. I'll give you a minute. Okay, done? Okay, now yes and yourself over to Facebook and go to facebook.com live L-I-V comedy improvcast. So that's L-I-V comedy improvcast and like the page. Can you do that for me? I know you can. Liverpool Comedy Improvcast is a new independent podcast, and I know my BT buddies will give it some support. That's Liverpool Comedy Improvcast, all one word, and let me tell you something, it's a good one. Hey, BTB buddies, I want to talk to you about the law offices of Quibble, Squabble, and Bicker again. In case you forgot, the hosts of the law offices of Quibble, Squabble, and Bicker are Matt, Greg, and Brendan. I just listened to Season 2, Client 24, There Are No Fat Vampires with singer and musician Aro. I want to impart to you what you might expect out of one of these wacky episodes. Now, they talked about Aro's music career and her going to the Lee Strasberg Theater and Film Institute. Of course they did. They also talked about Skinny Vampires, Lana Del Rey, Helena Bonham Carter, Breeding Hamsters and Billy Goats, what animal everybody would want to be, werewolves, Lizzo, and rotary phones. I bet you're subscribing to the offices of Quibble, Squabble, and Bicker right now just to see how those topics are all connected. If you're not, you should. Every episode is a tornado of topics covered well by the hosts who know more about pop culture than I do about my own life. Head over to qsblaw.org and follow them on all the social media platforms. That's the law offices of Quibble, Squabble, and Bicker on all the apps and at qsblaw.org. It's a good one, folks.
Hey, BTV buddies. I found a great new podcast for the single folks out there. It's called The Benefits of Being Single, and it's hosted by David McCall from Las Vegas. One of the things I like about The Benefits of Being Single is the episodes aren't super long. You can listen to an episode on your way to the store or during a quick workout, and you get some great content, but you don't have to commit an hour to a podcast. David gives some great advice for single people on how to stay happy and centered. He also has episodes dedicated to avoiding some common issues single people face like loneliness and avoiding toxic people. If you're single, it's great to hear David's perspective on the single life. You may learn some great new life hacks along the way. You can find the Benefits of Being Single podcast on all the apps by typing in the name, The Benefits of Being Single. You can also go to BenefitsOfBeingSinglePod.com to listen right from there and learn a little bit more about David. That's The Benefits of Being Single podcast, and you know what I'm going to say here. It's a good one. I made a recording error, and I want to make sure Mark Riccadonna gets a proper intro. Mark grew up in Youngstown, Ohio, and then pursued theater at the American Academy. Academy of Dramatic Arts after he graduated. He found stand-up comedy soon after and became a great storytelling comic. He's a contributing writer for SNL's Weekend Update and has performed in six continents as well as across the entire United States. Mark is also an actor and producer and had the lead role in the feature film Days of Power. He has two albums available for purchase or streaming, drinks, jokes, and storytelling, and it's all downhill from here. Mark is a great comedian and channel mate on the Drinks, Jokes, and Storytelling Twitch channel, enjoy the interview it's a good one mark thanks thanks so much for being on the show i appreciate it yeah i'm happy to i i'm currently in myrtle beach doing a gig uh, Our, those still exist yeah yeah and it looks like they're starting to come back so let's everybody get vaccinated and everybody be safe don't please don't take the fucking masks off yet because it's not time indiana's just gone nuts yeah. i went to buy some paint yesterday and nobody had a mask on and it was just ridiculous I, they're locking down Canada. They're locking down France. It looks like a bunch of other places are going to get it. And the United States is the arrogant teenager that's, eh, it's not going to happen to me. Yeah, we're going to be fine. We're going to have some spikes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want that tracking chip. I actually get my second dose on <laughs> tomorrow. I'll get, I get my second dose tomorrow, so I'm pretty stoked. Yeah. That, aren't you excited? Like, Bill Gates is going to find out what you're up to? Yeah, we finally get him to listen to your podcast. Yeah, Bill Bill Gates uh, wants to know what makes comedians tick. I know that that's the only thing he doesn't know. So yeah, yeah, I think that's I think gonna... that's actually why he did this whole thing. Yeah, he faked this whole pandemic just so he could get. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Getting back to why I have you here, I'm excited to talk to you because your career has taken you so many different places, but I wanted to get, go to the beginning first because when I read your bio, I just thought it was hilarious that that you were an artsy jock from the, the art capital of Youngstown, Ohio. I've been to Youngstown quite a few times, and it's, it, it's more industrial. It's like a Gary, Indiana. I'd say it's pretty close to Gary. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's very interesting because when you're in New York and you see somebody that's a little shifty, you go, "Is that a hipster or a homeless guy?" Yeah, <laughs> in Youngstown, you know, it's homeless guy. Yeah, every time. <laughs> <laughs> 
and so growing up there, because obviously it's a, it is a sports town. It's definitely a football town, but it's not necessarily an arts yeah. town. What was it? What part of the artistic experience drew you into being an artsy kid? This is, it's weird. I was good at sports, uh-huh. but I loved art. I uh-huh. was a painter. I did photography. I did the school play, but I was good at sports. Mm. Like I, was, I was all Northern Ohio as a football player. And so I, I grew up and used the sports as a, a way to have friends, a way to be popular, a way to whatever. But my real love was art and mm-hmm. I was going to go to school for art and I actually was looking to play football and go to school and just do four more years of sports and then settle down or whatever and find a job or do whatever I was going to do and I got hurt and I wrestling I tore my rotator cuff and ripped my AC joint so uh-huh. it was like I guess I got to find something else and for all the, uh, as much as I bash my hometown, <laughs> which I do quite a bit, yeah. which I think everybody should, I had really great teachers. I had really great coaches. The My football coaches were like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I, I have no idea. And they're like, you got to make a decision. You're graduating. Uh-huh. And I just was like, I don't know, I'll try acting. And they're all like, okay, we got to find good acting schools for you. We got to figure out how you pursue that. And we had uh, the guy who did our theater at our school. He was really great. And I auditioned for all these schools with zero experience as an actor. I did a school play, which was, I, I was pretty much doing impressions of teachers, mugging at the audience, yeah. improvising lines. Like I did none <laughs> of it serious. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I, I got in the most difficult school to get in and didn't get into any of the other ones. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> so I got at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. They accepted me. But all the other schools were like, this guy's trash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was weird. I took the tenacity of how much I love sports and all of a sudden plugged it into acting. Mm. And I just loved acting. And doing live theater, and it was just, it was so much fun. And I get out of school, I need to get a job because I was working at the school while I was in school. I made it all the way through, which is at the academy, they accept 200 people. Uh And then at the end of the first year, they whittle it down to 40. Uh And then the third year, they whittle it down to 20. And you work with professional theater directors and all that kind of stuff. And I needed work, and I decided to work at a comedy club because I always loved stand-up comedy. But mm. I, that, to me, was like, you know, oh, yeah, I want to be an astronaut. Oh, yeah, yeah I want to be a comedian. But yeah. how the hell do you do that? Uh-huh. Um, I don't know how to do either. I started working at the comedy club and really fell in love with watching how they came in every night, these great comedians and would work on the same bits, but there'd be a little change. There'd be a little different, and then change a word, and then all of a sudden it really would work. Uh And then you saw them having a finished bit. I'll never forget, I think it was the Academy Awards, Chris Rock hosted for the Emmys. Yeah. And I'll never forget, he came in one night, and he had a crew with him, his writers. It was like Nick DiPaolo, Patton Oswalt, Rich Voss. 
all these great comics. They all sat in the back of the room. He went on stage and he did an hour. Mm-hmm. He just spewed everything. And then he came back the next night and that hour became 40 minutes. Then it became a half hour. And every night he would come down and he would shave off and, and tighten the stuff he was keeping mm-hmm. and shave off the stuff he didn't need until he got it down to five minutes. And then it became 10 minutes again. Yeah. And then it became seven minutes. Yeah. And, became, and then by the time that the, the, it aired, I knew all the jokes. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, my God, he's going to do this next. And I watched <laughs> the process. And I just fell in love with it. I was like, this is so awesome. And I started writing on my own. And I started working on it on my own and uh, not letting anyone know I wanted to do it. And then I faked, I faked being coaxed into it. Yeah. So it was, the city clubs had this thing where the MCs would bring up each comic. Each comic would do about 20 minutes. And mm. then before the last comic goes up, the MC had to go up for 10 minutes while everybody paid their check. Mm. And it's the check spot now. But it didn't have a name back then. It was just when the MC ate his ass and nobody paid attention to him for 10 minutes. And then as soon as they started listening, okay, your last comic for the evening. Right. The MCs used to always complain about it. They hated that spot. So one night I was the door guy seating people and doing that. And I go, you guys complain about it so much. I'll go up and do it. Uh-huh. And if you're too afraid to do it. And they're like, you're not a comic. I go, I know it doesn't matter. <laughs> Nobody's paying attention. Just go up and do it. And then they were like, then, yeah, why don't you go up? And they didn't, they thought I was going to back down, but secretly I was hoping they were going to yeah. get me to go up. And uh, <laughs> I went on and I had a blast. Uh-huh. I have no idea if it went well, but I had so much fun because the freedom of, I was an actor and it was the freedom of doing the lines that I wrote. So I also got to write the script mm. and I got to do it. I didn't care if they were into it because I <laughs> didn't think this was going to actually become anything. Yeah. So I went up and had a really good time and the guys were like, that was funny. Like you were, had some structure there. Like you should maybe get up once in a while. Yeah. So then I started going up and I, I kind of, I think I set it up. So if I failed, it didn't matter. Uh huh. Because yeah. they're all, they would all go. He's not even a comedian. He yeah, up, that was ballsy. <laughs> yeah, you can ride that for a while. Yeah, <laughs> that's your honeymoon period. Yeah. <laughs> do you feel like? Do you feel like the fact that you got to watch for a period of time, watch how things progress, especially something like Chris Rock's? Uh, do, do you feel like that kind of gave you a leg up when you started because you knew the you. You had to have a little bit of structure to your act. Yeah, I really studied how they were doing it, and I logged thousands of hours of watching comedians, Mm -hmm. thousands of hours. Just This was pre-9-11, so there was like three shows a day Mm -hmm. on a Tuesday doing three shows, and I get to watch all the comics. And I really loved watching it, and a lot of guys – that worked there were comedians and they would never watch the shows. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this is like an education. Now, I guess not to complain or be the old man, but like now there's podcasts like this one where it's like, you can get inside comedians minds and hear their process and hear their, but back then there really wasn't anything like that. So Mm -hmm. you could go, there were a few books out that you could find that talked to comics. Yeah. But there wasn't like podcasting. 
So I felt like I had such an advantage because I got to watch these guys work. But then when they were sitting at the bar waiting to go on or after their set, killing time till their next one, I got to sit and talk with them and pick their brain and see how they worked on things. And they were interested in what I was doing because I was doing a lot of theater. And so they would ask me questions. I'd ask them questions. And I became really close with a lot of these guys. Mm. And and that was another leg up when all of a sudden they found out that I was doing comedy and I had a car. Hey, I need an opening act. Yeah. (laughs) You want to come do 15 minutes? I'll throw you money. You're going to pay me? Yeah. I just started. (laughs) But to me, it was like unbelievable that they were going to give me money to do this. Yeah. Now, so it slowly turned into like a legitimate, wow, I'm going to make an extra 200 bucks this week uh driving Greg Giraldo to Bananas and Poughkeepsie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now I, mean, I he probably just wanted the ride. Yeah, do, yeah, but, but I didn't care. Yeah, yeah, and, and you made a few bucks. Now I've had probably more exposure to you because we're on the same channel doing shows, and I also listen to a lot of your uh, comedy, both your albums and the the stuff that's on YouTube and stuff like that. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you, it seems like you are the type of person that if you didn't do comedy or work in the arts or something like that and you had to take a regular job for an extended period of time it would have killed you is that true yeah (laughs) i had made a goal to myself when i was at the academy that it was every day that i get to do something creative whether it be film theater comedy whatever it would be Whatever the whatever the, the creative outlet would be, writing something or working on a project, mm. every day that I do that and don't have to have a real job, I feel like I beat the system. Yeah. And I feel like I've been beating the system, and I, I keep feeling like any day they're going to find out. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, they're going to make your work drive through at Arby's or something. <laughs> I'm going to be the guy with the big hammer and making license plates like yeah. the old-fashioned prison movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you in for? I've been cheating the system for years. But I, one of my goals was, as a as moving to New York, was I want to make movies with my friends. Uh-huh. That's my number one goal. Yeah. Bobcat Goldway, Adam Sandler, they have the career I want. Mm. They did stand-up. They make movies with their friends. They write their own movies. They produce them so they don't really answer to other people. Mm. They take a brunt of the critics because it's it's all on them. Yeah. They don't get to go, well, I didn't write that. Yeah. You know, so they wrote it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I feel like that would be the ultimate goal. And the way I'd feel like I got away with, man, I want it life. Like, I have a family. I have, I've been doing playing make-believe with my friends and telling jokes my whole life. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And, and what I get from your style is it's great storytelling, but it's also a uh, kiss my ass to the regular world type of attitude because I, I and I really like it because it, it really, it, it draws you in. I listened to both your albums when I was driving and I usually like, tune in and tune out when I'm driving. Some of the stuff that you were 
coming up with was just it was just it was it was deep without being deep I, I guess I could say because you're really you're taking a philosophical look at the world around you without saying I'm taking a f- philosophical look at the world around me <laughs> and did you always do it that way was that kind of your bent the way you did stand up or did you go through the whole one-liner and dick jokes and all that kind of stuff prior <laughs> It's still, uh, it's a weird uh, roller coaster ride with my style or my my way of me. But it goes back to what happened with my first time on stage of trying to trick people into thinking I wasn't doing anything. Yeah. But meanwhile, I've been writing material. Yeah. And it's maybe it's a defense mechanism of that I do want to have a deep thought, but I want to cover it with pretending I'm not. Yeah. So then if somebody goes, hey, man. That was deep. I go, oh, cool. You connected with it. But if they're like, what are you trying to be, uh, Socrates yeah. or something? I go, oh, no. I, just, I, don't know. I was just talking shit. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, for a big hairy ape, I'm a sensitive guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, when I first started, I did a lot of what I thought people wanted stand-up comedy to be mm-hmm. it was a lot of I, I do a lot of i would do like a ton of characters but they were kind of characters that were already people were doing mm-hmm. like it wasn't that original of stuff and it was a lot of i love Stephen wright and rodney dangerfield and i wanted to do that kind of work like mm-hmm. i wanted to be that guy that was just a one line after another that you're just like oh my god that's amazing yeah and I did that for a little while where I was really trying to write these set-up punchline jokes that really had nothing to do with me. They were just set-up punchline jokes. Mm. And I was on the road and with Carl LeBeau, and he looked at me and he goes, you're an actor. Why aren't you acting up there? I went, I never thought of it. And he goes, take your bit and expand it and act it out and mm-hmm. do whatever. And start telling stories. You're funnier in the car than you are on stage. Mm-hmm. And I didn't take that as an insult. I actually took it as a compliment because he was allowing me to be myself mm. instead of being what I thought should be on stage. Right. And um, I, I started working in that direction of being myself, trying to say what I really feel and what I think. And I hope you think it's funny too. Mm-hmm. I, Something I really, if I'm going to ever pat myself on the back on something, is whatever you put me in front of audience-wise, I'll adapt to them. I can tell the same stuff, but I'll adapt to them. Right. And and I've been lucky that I can do that because I've worked for Disney Cruise Lines, where you have to be that clean, that non-offensive. And I've also worked on... The Monsters of Rock Cruise opened for John Karabi and Crocus and all Crocus. these heavy metal bands. Yes. <laughs> and it was their first time back together in like 30 years. Yeah. And I got to go out and <laughs> bomb for five minutes before I brought them out. <laughs> I had one vice at a time on vinyl. <laughs> yeah, I I, 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 Crocus's later stuff, not so much, but their first couple albums, I just totally dug. I'm a weird yeah. metalhead, so yeah, I, I I really like their first couple albums. But yeah, uh, Long Stick Goes Boom, one of my favorite songs. Nice. 
They, uh, it was the Monsters of Rock cruise was so funny because all the other comedians on the ship were well known in the heavy metal world. It was oh, yeah. Don Jameson, Jim Florentine, Greg Gas. Yeah, and then there was me, and I'm, I was like. I everybody on the ships wearing black leather. Yeah. I'm wearing like a baby blue t-shirt with plaid <laughs> shorts. Like, I think that guy got on the wrong cruise ship. Fat <laughs> dad on vacation uh, <laughs> got on the wrong ship. Oh, I, I had such a good time because I was so into it. And Don Jameson and Craig Gass knew I was. That, yeah. That's I love the music. And I got to be on a ship and perform with Night Ranger. I became friends with Tom Kiefer. I can't believe And it, my brother's a singer in a metal band. So I'm like, my brother should be here. Yeah. Plus, <laughs> I think a lot of comedians have this. My brother is way funnier than me. He's a, That's probably the way it always is. a better actor than me. Yeah. <laughs> but he didn't have the drive to do it because he was always funny. Right. So he didn't like have the drive to go, I got to go to New York and do this. Yeah. It's like, ah, I'm funny. Yeah. <laughs> so you hit on something that uh, a lot of established comedians talk about, but I've never really been able to pin down how you do it. So, you know, you you do a Disney cruise, you do a, a G-rated show, you do a PG, you do a PG-13, you do an R-rated show. How are what you need to do to go up there? But do you are you able to take the same material and use it like in all the shows or some of it you can use in all the shows? How do you rewrite it and remake it into something that can be used anywhere? Ryan Stewart here of the Two Lives Stews. I want to tell you about Herbal Erect, a male enhancement instant drink made with natural ingredients I now use. It is specially formulated to improve any intimate encounter and maximize your sexual potential. With my high blood pressure and having to schedule adult playtime with my wife, our relationship struggled. Now I take Herbal Erect. There have been no side effects and happy wife, happy life. Remember, sex is supposed to be fun and enjoyable. For a free sample, visit herbal-erect.com. That's herbal-erect.com. Also available on amazon.com. That's and so that's a, a, a it's a crazy answer to this would be my first thing is the philosophy of knowing your audience mm-hmm. of so if you take a street joke in your head and pretend you're going to tell it to your grandmother mm-hmm. at dinner okay. you're going to tell that joke mm-hmm. but now pretend you're at a bar and you're with your best friend from high school who has a sick sense of humor and you're going to tell that same joke. Mm-hmm. You're going to flower the wording. You're going to, then you're going to, when you're with him, you're going to darken it. You're going to make it. So the punchline and the joke are still the same, but how you paint the picture Uh is going to be very different from telling it to your grandmother to telling it to your friend. Mm -hmm. And that's step one is realizing, looking at the crowd and going, okay, I need to be, there needs to be a lot of foreplay. There needs to be a lot of cute, beautiful things to get to the, the wow, that punchline was great. Yeah. <laughs> but then you look at this audience and you don't need foreplay. You can just force it. Go for it. And be brutal about it. And But you're doing the same joke. Uh-huh. But you're just, you're painting the picture differently. Yeah. Do you ever um, do you ever slip and forget which, which audience you're talking to? <laughs> 
Yeah, I think we're all guilty of this unless you're somebody who doesn't swear normally. I've had the yeah. occasional slips. Yeah. I've had the occasional I've caught myself and the audience laughed before I got it out. Yeah. Like this stupid yeah. person, you know. Yeah. And then it gets a giggle because they're like, Ooh, you almost went there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think even once on the Disney cruise, I almost slipped and I caught it and used like a really stupid word to, but the intent was still there. Yeah. And the audience got a big laugh out of it. And thank God the cruise director was, ah, you almost, was that on purpose? Or yeah. if it was on purpose, don't do it next show. But I, I thought it was funny. If it was an accident, good job covering. Yeah. <laughs> and she never asked for me to give the answer. But it was definitely a slip. Yeah. You know, I was this close to getting fired because I was too caught up in the moment of yeah. the joke. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's hard. It's really. It's also a matter. Of, go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. I'm sorry. It's hard. Uh, so, to, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> you son of a bitch. It's hard. No, 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 I'm kidding. Yeah. It's really hard to circumvent your normal way of speaking because I swear a lot too. And I'm. 100% clean on stage. I don't even have an R-rated act. And the but I still I still want to say this fucking happened to me or whatever and but yeah. I through practice I I get those words out and I don't do it. But it's really hard because if you curse every third word in normal speech, yeah. it's really hard to take that out. But it's also part of joke writing too, because you need to take out the words that you don't need. So, you know, that's part yeah. of it too. And, and also doing the different shows is it's a matter of just writing a lot yeah. and just having the material that when you walk up and you see it's an older crowd going, Oh, okay. What material would resonate better with an older crowd? Yeah. And then if you go up and it's a bunch of college kids, what material is going to, that I have will resonate. Like I'm not going to do the childbirth bits about yeah. my kids being born to college kids. So that's a half hour itself, just yeah. the two kids being born. Mm. So I have to have another half hour to plug in if that's not going to work. Yeah. And, and I'm not one of these guys. There's a lot of guys and I don't know if they're for real or if they just say it to sound cool. And they're like, yeah, I write an hour every morning I wake up and write an hour. I could never do that. Yeah. Oh, my God, that's homework. <laughs> Unless it's like a project or, hey, we need 20 pages of a script. Okay, I'll get up and I'm going to just sit and work on it. Yeah. But otherwise, it's like when inspiration hits, you jump on it. And yeah. if you're bored, you can tweak things that maybe you have. that yeah. you. And I have a lot of jokes written. I mean... <laughs> I should let's see if I can show you right now. I'm working on yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> see all the, because I have a book of jokes that don't really belong anywhere. Yeah. And if a story comes up and there's, I could use that one joke. I could add that into there, even though it isn't maybe part of it. I can tweak it to fit it into the story. Mm. I have like a book full of those <laughs> of just, one-off jokes that I hope that one day have a story that it could be plugged into. Mm. And then I have another one that's just stories yeah. that haven't been worked out yet. 
Yeah. It's funny. And I've talked to a lot of comedians. Say what? Uh, and hopefully they'll work one day. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's funny. I talked to some comedians that do have a writing schedule and I've never been able to do it. But one thing I did during the pandemic is I bought myself a whiteboard and I started writing down my bits that I feel comfortable with that I feel like I could say them anytime and anywhere yeah. I've got them down. They're not necessarily perfect, but... I could probably make them better, but I know I can go with everything in blue and it's pretty good. And then over in red, I've got all the shit that I know could be good, but I haven't worked on it enough to make it good. So I'm trying and then I draw lines and say this one could go here and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it it becomes like that conspiracy, uh, conspiracy board that's on all the memes from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And but yeah, I that that's one thing I did learn during the pandemic is I have to organize stuff in my mind and know what I have and what I don't have because when you know what you have, how much more you need. That's one of the things I was going to ask you. So what, you started fairly early in life. When did you get your first solid half hour to where you were just funny from minute one all the way through? Wow, that's. I, I was just picturing your board and going, Scott either got a new half hour or he figured out who killed JFK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I figured out Man, how they got I'm the microchip. Actually... <laughs> I figured out how they got the microchip and the virus and the uh, vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> I my first half hour, to be honest with you, I know a lot of comics know the day they started. They know how many shows they've performed. Uh-huh. I have no idea. Yeah. I, I don't know. It was sometime <laughs> around 2002. Yeah. It might have been 2003. I'm not actually sure. <laughs> but then my first, like, solid half hour, I right now, if even tonight when I go on stage, I don't know if I have the most solid half hour. Uh-huh. Like, I, I really get scared right before I go on. So in Disney, I have to do three, no, four half-hour shows, completely uh-huh. different, squeaky wow. clean. So that's that's two hours of clean jokes, but mm. they're in half-hour chunks. Tonight, I have to do a half-hour, and probably 15 minutes before the show starts, I'm going to go, do I have a half-hour? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and I'm not psyching myself up i i honestly go into panic mode uh-huh. is this enough material do i have enough like so i still feel like i've done shows where i've done an hour and a half but if you tell me like okay go up and do 15 i'm gonna go into a quick panic yeah of do i have 15 minutes what 15 minutes should i angle because when I, I, I approach a set i guess this is the sports background i i look at it as being a quarterback on a football team mm. i have a playbook that's all my jokes we have a playbook now before the show starts i usually watch the audience come in mm. and as they come in and i see or the opening acts up and i watch what's hitting and what's not mm. oh they they don't like dirty or they seem to like this or yeah. the subject that really hits them then i go to my playbook and go what do i have that would be good against this defense 
So yeah. I start planning my <laughs> set list off of that, and I'm going, okay, so I'll do this, I'll do this. I'll have a kind of running order, and then when I get up in front of them on the microphone, I start calling audibles. <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> Jump to another one. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it, it, you never – when I hear people say that they can phone it in, I'm so jealous of them. Mm. They're like, ah, oh, just phone in this 20 minutes. Like, I'm jealous. I wish I could do that. I'm just going to go up and run through my set. I'm up there I'm trying to act calm and trying to be calm in front of them, but inside my brain is, like, <laughs> complete chaos. Right, going yeah. On. What's going to work? What's yeah. the next? And then you have the bit you want to work on, and you're going, when can you put this in? Put them in. Put them in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then you're... Your professional brain goes, don't put them in yet. They're not ready. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's like a whole war going on in my head, but I'm on stage. Hey, what's up, guys? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cool. Are you? Yeah, I, I'm a lot like you. I'm a lot like you in that. I do have a little bit of a panic. And the funny thing is to whether it's 15 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever, in order for it to work everywhere, you almost have to have an hour for uh, of material that you can sub in for the stuff that's not working. Because, And especially in your style, because your style is uh, very storytelling and everything connects to each other. And if you get a big disconnect and you've got a, you've got a whole bit about childbirth and all of a sudden you got to go into growing up in Youngstown, that's a big leap based on your style. So you really have to have certain stuff that you can put in for each piece of subject matter. There's a big panic button. Because yeah. if I have to abandon, if I go in thinking I'm doing both children's births and when I tried to quit doing comedy, uh, that's a half hour. Yeah. And if I go into it and get sidetracked, have to deal with something like a heckler or uh, whatever, or it's not hitting, mm-hmm. and I hit the pet, you know, eject button, that's a half hour that just got released. Yeah. <laughs> I have to fill it back in with stuff yep. in that moment. Yeah. So it's, oh, my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> and then start filling in things, and then you start having really bad segues, and you're catching yourself because you're trying to. I was talking about dogs, right? Like, Yeah. I know I wasn't talking about dogs, but I'm trying to switch the subject. <laughs> <laughs> and it, 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 there's complete chaos going on in my brain. If they plugged me into one of those systems where you can see the brain yeah function 22 hours of the day it would be a dim bulb in the middle uh-huh. <laughs> and then the hour on stage it would be like a firework show yeah <laughs> and like right now if you said do do the bit of whatever and you named a bit of mine i wouldn't be able to just pull it up but on stage, when the adrenaline's going and the fireworks is going off, I can recall jokes from, like, when I was 18 years old. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. All of a sudden, I'm it? doing yeah. a Dale Earnhardt joke. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. That's weird. 
Now, you had been doing stand-up for a long time, and you decided that you're going to get into some other stuff. And we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. You've got gotten to do some acting, and you've gotten to do some writing, and you've also just produced a movie that just recently came out. When, when you're a comedian... How do you make how do you make those things happen? Because a lot of people look at a stand up comedian as okay, that's all you do. How, how do you make those yeah. things happen? So there's the easy, not to be rude to anybody, but there's the dumb person perspective of they look at us and go, "You're a comedian, big deal. You go up and you're funny for a half hour." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess technically, yeah, we go up and we'd be funny for an hour or a half hour or whatever. But what people don't understand is as comics, we're businessmen. We have to go and find the work. We have to negotiate our own pay. We have to negotiate. There's no union or standard fee or anything. Mm. We have to do our own routing to the gigs. So you do not just a one-nighter and lose money because you drove so far and came back. You start routing your gigs. So you're like almost, what are those guys, logistics. Uh, You're basically doing your own logistics. You're writing your own script. You're learning your own improvising. You have to act it out on stage. You have to then be professional if you do merchandising. You do Comedians do a million jobs to make it seem like we just go up and do one little job behind the scenes of a comic. My wife says it all the time. I've never seen someone work so hard to look like he's not working. Yeah. Yeah. And it's eight hours a day. I, and it's not enough time. Right. I need more hours. Yeah. And when I have a family and I try to balance that as well, but it's, we put so much work into our own careers that we, the analogy I used earlier was we're like a frog on a lily pad and the stand-up comedy lily pad branches everywhere. Mm. We can do any job because we do it to be a comedian. You do a little bit of each of these different jobs. So a comedian can jump to being a director, can jump to being an actor, can jump to being a producer, can jump to being a voiceover person. We understand microphones, timing, all that stuff. Mm. There's a million ways we can jump and be successful where I don't think the other arts necessarily translate that way mm-hmm. because you're a writer doesn't really mean you'd be a good director or you'd be a good actor, or you could even be a good comic mm-hmm. because a great writer could write the best joke on the planet. But if they can't deliver it, they don't have timing. They don't have stage presence. All that great writing goes nowhere. Yeah. But as a comic, if you're a successful comic, you have to do all of that. Mm. I saw opportunities, and I love acting. I love. I fell in love with directing. I didn't know I was going to like it. When I was in acting school, I was like, I never would want to be a director. Holy shit. Yeah. Too much responsibility. <laughs> but now I'd rather direct than act because uh-huh. I my brain has been trained to see the big picture more than just the little picture. Whereas an actor, you really have to, you can't see the big picture. You have to play your little spoke in the wheel. Mm. And as a director, you're the round part around the spoke. So (laughs) as, as a comic, we see that. We have to know the whole gambit. You can't just be in the moment. Yeah. Or you could burn all your material. You could, you could, 
do something horrible to get canceled or fired. Yeah, or, right. You have to have part of you in the game and part of you out of the game watching. It's very, it's comedy is a very Zen thing that people don't think about that because they look at us as telling dick jokes. Yeah. But well, and it takes, you're in the zone. Yeah. It takes so much self-awareness. You have to be able to objectively look at yourself and say, this is good or this isn't good. And this is what needs to change. And e- even how you walk around the stage, hold your mic, just, it's all, that's the director part saying, okay, th- this is what's working and this is what's not. And then you have to be a bit, business person and say, okay, I'm not going to make my house payment if my act doesn't get better. So I got to make my act better. And this is what I got. So it's really, I really understand the complexity of a half hour on stage. You've got usually a couple years of work going into it, at least your first half hour. So many hours. Yeah. Yeah. You log in so much work just to get that little time showing it off it's like playing a sport and like you go oh yeah tom brady all he does is snap the football he throws it and then he, he wins super bowl yeah he trained his whole life to be athletic enough to make it to the to you yeah. know the nfl and he honed his skills with a coach and a whole team enough to be able to assemble this team that will go to the super bowl it's not like he just shows up on sundays and plays football yeah like it's not a backyard game <laughs> But to the lay person, they're like, oh, can you believe he makes all that money and all he does is play 16 weeks a year or whatever? Like, it's There's a lot more that went into it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and not that we're Tom Brady, but we're in the pros. We're playing in the big leagues mm. and the very successful comics. It's a lot of work mm. and you're supposed to make it look like it's not right. And I, I I saw opportunities, and I've taken them. I've had I was doing a lot of acting and comedy at the same time, mm-hmm. and then like I had an opportunity to direct a, a play and then direct a film. I fell in love with that. A friend of mine liked my writing style, and uh, suggested me to write with him for Weekend Update. Mm-hmm. And he was writing for Weekend Update, and he suggested, "Hey, can I bring this guy on?" And they said, okay, but it, saying writing for Weekend Update sounds so much better than it really is. I wanted it for a resume thing yeah. more than anything because you're writing 100 jokes a week in another person's voice. Yeah. And you only get paid if it makes the air. Yeah. So it's not, if you're a staff writer, your life is, that's amazing. Mm. You're like made. It's like being a made man in the mafia. You're getting all your benefits, your pay, you're doing in your writing every day. Just that's your main thing. Right. But when you're a contributor, like you have to have your whole life going on and then figure out how you're going to write these hundred jokes on these topics that they email you. Yeah. And when you get a joke on air, it's like the greatest feeling in the world. And the money's not that good. Yeah. The money's not. And current event jokes are so hard anyway, because you have to wait because everybody's writing a current event joke and (laughs) everybody's written your joke. So you got to find that angle that nobody's thought about and you got to do it a hundred times. That's got to be tough. Yeah. And so it made me hate Twitter 
Yeah. Every time I thought I had a great joke and I would go to submit it and I would be scrolling through Twitter, I'm like, ah, oh, five people made the same joke. And they made it on Tuesday. Yeah. This isn't going to air till Saturday. There's no way this joke's going to. So I got to erase that joke. Yeah. Let's go to another one. I, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, current events are tough. Yeah, and and jokes in general are tough. It's so crushing. Yeah. I wrote a whole bit before I even looked for it about how my mom thought the VIX could uh, fix everything. VIX was the cure-all for everything, a broken leg. and, And so I looked it up. I looked just vick's joke and there's this guy telling my joke it's and it's seven years ago and so it's there goes that i'm either gonna have to do a new take on it or just not do it i so uh complete honesty with you on this is i don't know about you but during this pandemic i've had a fog there's a yeah. brain fog yeah. i don't feel like i'm myself yeah i don't feel uh sharp I feel like it's really, it's taken a toll on me mentally. And I started writing bits and stuff in my act and, you know, doing it on the streaming shows, doing it on, you know, Zoom, corporate Zoom stuff. Mm. And now I'm starting to go back out and I'm doing a bit. And I, I think I did it last night. I was talking to online, not at the live show. And I go, I got this new bit that I just wrote, and I think it's great. Mm. And I started telling the bit, and as I started telling I realized, I've heard this isn't my bit. I've heard it. I just was writing and went, yeah, this is funny. Yeah. And I wrote it down. It's somebody else's bit. Uh, and I think I knew whose it was, so I stopped myself and go, that bit's somebody else's. But it's happening to me all the time right now. Yeah. Because I, I have this fog, and I'm a little freaked out right now about writing new material and everybody's like, you've got to be writing new material because of this pandemic. You don't want to go back out and do your old act. Yeah. I'm really afraid because everything that I'm writing and thinking is really funny. I'm realizing it's somebody else's bit. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I'm, I don't know if it's, and I know like the Robin Williams thing where they were, everybody accused him of yeah. stealing bits and mm. writing checks, giving them the people. And I just read his book, Robin, and um, I'm really good friends with Rick Overton. Mm. And we talked a little bit about that time period. And I watched, Robin used to come to the comedy club all the time where I'd stand up in New York. He used Mm. to come in and we were very friendly. He wouldn't have known my name if I ran into him. Mm. He might recognize me. Oh, yeah, the the guy at stand up New York. Because I used to hide him. So people would leave him alone Uh and he could go on stage. And he really loved the fact that I go, look, it's a good cop, bad cop. Yeah. I'll kick him away and push him out. You can say it's okay. And I'll tell him it's club policy. Yeah. So like somebody would come over and this was before people had camera, this accessible. They would pull out a camera and go, I want to get a picture with you. We're in from Nebraska. We came to New York. I can't believe you're here. And I go, you can't take a picture with them. And he go, it's okay. I go, no, it's club policy. You can't take a picture. Uh-huh. You can after the show. You can. Robin will be out here. Uh-huh. He has to go somewhere else. You can come out and take a picture with them. But I can't have you take a picture with them in the lobby. I'll get in trouble. Mm. And I would force him away. And he'd go, no, but it's completely fine. And then he would go, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I just want to work on my act. But he doesn't want to be a dick and tell. 
right tell some fan of his i don't have time i'm working on my ass yeah <laughs> but i'd watch him work and i totally get it he was so in the moment that he and he came from a different school than us because we grew up and got to watch he mm. came up where they just did because there wasn't anybody to watch yeah they were, yeah. They were writing the rules but he was so in the moment and so improvising that if he heard you say something funny, there's a chance it might get oh yeah to his mouth. Yeah. Because it's in his head. Yeah. And I watched him talk at the bar with, with a bunch of comics and he was just they were riffing on stuff and we were talking about the camera thing. About how whatever and the we we're talking about disposable cameras. And he goes, one day they're gonna be on their on your phone. They're going to be on your phone. You're going to have these devices. We're going to do this whole thing. Uh -huh. And he was genuinely just making that up. And then he went on stage and improvised on it and started using lines that we were saying while we were talking. Yeah. And you realize he wasn't stealing it. He was, it was just coming out of him because he just put it all out. Yeah. And I get so nervous that luckily I'm not improvising on stage, but when I'm writing, I have all these like, lines and the minute something funny comes to me i go shit is this somebody else's yeah i gotta oh I, it came to me too easy or yeah. this is too funny for me to have just thought up yeah and i'm panicking and it's <laughs> it's really hard when you're a comic and you talk to comics all the time because a lot of your a natural joke comes from personal experience. And if that personal experience is hanging around comics, then you're obviously going to, some of that's going to get to you by osmosis. So it really is hard. And I guess you just got to apologize. I always saw in Robin's case, there was never any malice. There was never any forethought yeah. of him stealing. It was just that what you explained, that's the way he was just like a sponge and he soaked all that stuff up and then it's up there. And when he's talking, it just came out. There's a, yeah. There's a chance it might come out if he thought it was funny. And it's, and we learned from that. As younger comics going, oh, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. get ridiculed. Yeah. We're standing on his mistakes. Yeah, no doubt. So recently you've been able to take the role of producer on a film and uh, that film just came out, Dark State. Can, I, 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 I normally want to talk about just comedy, but I think the way that this came out and the things that are happening around it, the press and stuff that's happening around <laughs> it, I think is really, it's almost comedic in, in, in the way it's worked yeah. out. Can, can you tell me how this came about and what's happening with it now? So I started a production company with, a business partner of mine, Michelle Gray, and she's she's amazing. And it was we started this because I would get hired to write scripts for people. Mm. Ghost right? I would get hired to we get hired to direct stuff for people. We'd get hired just odds and ends stuff. And we really started this production company to do our own work. If I wrote something or she wrote something or we worked on something, we would do, but we started getting hired to do other people's stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's not really our forte, but check's a check. And we would, there were, we rejected stuff that there was good money to be made, but we went, oh, I don't think I, or this person's going to be hard to work with. And we 
met this really nice lady. I met through connections. And almost all of this stuff happens because of comedy, mm. where somebody goes, I have this project. And if I knew somebody, oh, yeah, I can help you with that. And we, it was called Dark State. She wrote it, I don't know, five years ago, four years ago. Mm-hmm. She wrote it a while ago. And, and it's all about what you think, the dark state. It's this group of people who run the make the decisions. And it was a, a lot of fun, and we shot it. And as producers, we got it out there, and it went way farther than we ex- uh, hoped. It was like... Uh-huh. AMC theaters and yeah. Atlas distribution were like, we're going to put it in the theater it, during this pandemic. There's, there's several theaters that are still open, but we'll get you theater distribution. We're like, yes, yeah. it's making history. It's crazy. Uh-huh. And we put it out there and I find it very funny that the reviews that we're getting, the ones that we get slammed in are people talking about the real world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the review is them bitching about the real world, and it's, this is a movie, not a documentary, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> this is and I, I, I'm really, I'm reading these reviews, and my wife's going, "Are you upset that this was a negative review?" I go, "No, this person's bitching about QAnon and Trump. Like, yeah. It has nothing to do with our movie. <laughs> it's a similar tone, but if you made a movie about a serial killer." Uh-huh. And then they just started bitching about Jeffrey Dahmer in the review. You'd go, did they watch the movie? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not about <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> so I've been laughing off anything that was negative because then there wasn't a lot of these reviews were like two sentences about the actual movie and then three paragraphs bitching about how they raided the Capitol. We didn't do that. It's uh-huh. not our movie. Yeah. We had nothing to do with that. <laughs> This is a, a, a not real story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we did a movie about aliens and whatever, and then they bitched about NASA, you'd go, what are you talking about? It's, it's a movie. <laughs> but so I, it's, I guess the comic in me is always trying to find the funny angle. So like any of the negativity, we had a lot of people who really enjoyed the movie and wrote some really nice stuff and, they got it that it's that's what this movie is. Yeah. And it's just I think one reviewer said it's like a really long episode of Law and Order. Uh-huh. And they said it's a, Law and Order is an amazing TV show, but independent films generally don't have the money to have action. There's yeah. not a there's not a car chase in it or a gunfight is yeah. financially no explosions. Yeah. And so it's a long law and order and they got it what it was and they enjoyed it for what it was and those are the people we hope see it yeah but we have a lot of reviews i found the funny in it that it's like they didn't even they're not even bitching about the movie yeah they're bitching about their real life yeah yeah and it's <laughs> that has to give you, you some it, material it's still in theater yeah <laughs> Is that going to be, is that like in distribution for on demand or anything yet? Yes. In May, I believe it's May 8th. I'll I'll be talking the drinks, jokes, and storytelling. I'll probably be talking to it to no end when it's official. What we have a deal, everything's done, but I'm not supposed to say what it is yet, but it's like May 8th. Hmm. It will, it'll be able to be in your home. But yeah, yeah, I mean, 
it's it's crazy. It's like Arizona. There's a couple of places in Texas, Illinois, Virginia, Utah, Austin, Texas is the a big one in New York City. And we actually sold out the opening weekend in New York City uh, at AMC Empire, which is the huge theaters in Times Square. It's the huge movie theaters. Uh, it's socially distanced and all that kind of stuff, but it's they had to add shows. And it's such a cool feeling mm. that it's in the before times, before it was a gigantic pandemic going on or whatever. And you said you sold out in three cities. You sold out your film. Uh-huh. That would be like yeah. an explosion. There are less capacity, but it's still a, a, a taste of happiness. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. And, you know, one of the things I have admired about you, even though we haven't met, I've watched you so many times on the Drinks, Jokes, and Storytelling channel, which is a name of your album and also the name of your podcast and the name of the channel. But I've watched you, and you have such an appreciation for other people no matter what their art is, they could be a musician, they, they could be a playwright, they, they could be an actor, anything. You have such an appreciation for it. I like to watch you because even on your own show, you don't talk very much. You, you, you ask the questions and you let them. And I like that because you remind me of me because you really want to learn stuff and you're really interested in what they have to say. And that's what makes you such a great host of uh, a podcast or, or a show or something like that. And I think that is something that really makes for a good comedian is to be a really good listener because that's how you find the funny and stuff. Yeah, I really get inspired by, even if it's something I don't know or that I don't, like Justin, who's on our channel with us, the guy sings opera music. Yeah. <laughs> Toward Europe. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'd love to hear the stories. Right. My favorite thing, and the whole reason the entire podcast idea and the channel idea is solely based on the premise of my favorite thing about this business is when the lights are on at the comedy club. Mm. The show's over, stacking the chairs or doing whatever, and the three comics, no matter what level they are, we're all brothers, whoever was the MC, the feature, and the headliner, and we all sit at the bar, maybe with the club owner or the manager, Yeah. and you sit at the bar, you have a couple cocktails, you're feeling very loose, Yeah. and people start telling stories. Yeah. And I'm at the club in Myrtle Beach, and if you talk to Jeff and Christine, the owner, they, they, they've had everybody here. Yeah. Every comic has been to this club. So you name somebody, and they can tell you about when they were there yeah. and what happened. And I think the most underrated comic of all the legend comics is Richard Jenny. Yeah. I think he's the greatest comedian. Yeah. There's nobody who could take the subject and beat the dead horse till it was funny again, make it alive, yeah. then beat it again. He squeezed every joke out of whatever topic he yeah. did. And I, I absolutely loved it. And it's not a lot of people have tell Richard Jenny stories. Yeah. You know, and, and it's too bad because he is one of the greats and there more words came out of his mouth per minute than just about any other comedian. It was just it, it was like turning on a faucet. So yeah. Right. 
Yeah. And it never, his stuff, a lot of, there's a lot of great comics and I don't want to, I'm not trashing anybody for what they do or anybody for who they were. There's a lot of comics that didn't, in my eyes, age. And I know they were legends. I know they were, and we have to appreciate them for everything that they've contributed to our business. But like Lenny Bruce, he, I put him on a pedestal. He did so much for us. But if you play his album, it's not that interesting anymore. Yeah. Because it didn't age that well. Yeah. And I love, I respect him 100%. To me, he's like Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, it's so important. But I right. probably won't go see a Shakespeare play this year. Yeah. yeah. Sam Kinison. Amazing. He did all this amazing stuff that just mind-blowing, changed the business, made it cool, made comedy cool instead of it just being, you know, nerds pointing at the cool people and making fun of them. He made it like a rock and roll experience. I don't really care to listen to a lot of his stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's Richard Jenny put his album on. It's still fucking amazing. I, I watched one of Robert Klein's um, old specials. I watched one of Robert Klein's old specials uh, a few weeks ago, and it was from '86, maybe. And I loved it. It it, it held up. Really? And some of the stuff, the jokes themselves, some of the subject matter was dated, but the way he did it. And, yeah. and, and it's funny. I'll be controversial here. Some of Carlin's stuff doesn't necessarily hold up. Uh, because that yeah. anger is so real now that it's hard to listen to it from 15 years ago because because yeah. he was so much on the fore and, and it's like the Lenny Bruce stuff. It, 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 he was yeah. so angry about stuff that nobody was thinking about, and now we're all pissed off about it, and we were 15 years too late. So it, it's a hard listen. It's a, absolute art it's the highest art form the comedy can be however it's a very hard listen for me yeah it, it, you feel like you want to pause george and go out and tap him on the shoulder and go i hate to tell you this yeah <laughs> you were right all of this shit's real yeah <laughs> like, it's it's hard to, it's hard for us to laugh because you are actually a philosopher not yeah. a comedian now yeah yeah <laughs> but there's guys like shimmel and yeah. richard jenny mm-hmm. there are these great comedians and and they're they're i, I just hope they don't get forgotten because we only want to remember the really big ones yeah. and not the Dennis Wolfbergs. And, and I, I don't know if Rich Scheidner, but you should have him on here. Yeah. He is a legitimate comic historian. He has a one-man show, The History of Stand-Up Comedy. Uh-huh. But I look at guys like Scheidner and I'm going, why is he not? the most important person in comedy right now. Yeah. Why is Paul Provenza not the most important person in comedy right now? Yeah. They should be cherished because of the stories and the lives they live Mm. and the, but we don't reward that. We reward the flash in the pan, the sexy girl who does comedy. We don't reward that. There's this, these comics that are out there, the Elaine Boozlers who, who lived 
this wild life that if you wrote in a movie, people would go, that's not real. Yeah. That would never happen. We're not rewarding them. We're mm-hmm. rewarding uh, a comedian who has five minutes but is cute yeah. or has followers on YouTube. TikTok. My whole thing is, are you interesting? And a lot of times these people that are really popular, and I don't want to badmouth them or point and point out who they are, but there's a lot of comics out there who have these crazy followings of people who like die for them. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. I don't see why this is important, yeah. why this is relevant to anything. And I see all these comics like I just mentioned who I'm like, how are these people not just on television every second going, give us your opinion. Yeah. We want to hear what you think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's I mean, funny. Rick is actually on my list because, because, and I think we're Facebook friends anyway, and he, he's definitely on my list. It's funny. I'm working with a couple of publicists. I'll and, text them to, when we're off air. I'll text them. Yeah. I'm working with these publicists and they're giving me, they're giving me people to talk to, but sometimes, you know, I've got a few, I've got a few interviews in the can that I'm probably never going to release because they just weren't interesting. And I don't care how popular they are, if it gives me a bigger audience or whatever, it just wasn't a good interview. Yeah. So I'm leaning away from the publicist and I'm going to go my own route for a while. Like I did to start. I, I, And that's one of the main things when Tom introduced us and he said, watch this guy's stuff. And the first thing I went on was you doing Tom Driesen. Yeah. Tom's my guy. He's he's another one. He's, if if you read the book, I'm dying up here, him and Elaine Boozler are the most two, the two most important people in comedy. Yeah. And what are they right now? A footnote. And a book, they yeah. should be Tom Driesen, Scheidner, Boozler. They should be anytime something happens, they, they even if it's not comedic. Yeah. Something happens in the world. What is your take on that? Yeah, yeah, they're no the doubt. Ones, yeah. Their, their minds are so on a different level than any of ours. And, yeah. And, but they'll go and ask them, some dude who has a YouTube following. And part of what this channel was of having this channel was, and then I, I know it's important to get people with big names and followings and whatever, but I, it, the reason podcasting is so amazing is nobody's telling us what to do. Yeah. We can interview anybody we want. Yeah. If they say you need to get Justin Bieber on your channel, I don't know anything about him. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure he's a great guy. But I'm not interested in knowing anything about him. Yeah. But if Elaine Boozler will come on the show, I- I'm going to be not able to sleep for a week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Like, yeah. And and we're allowed to do that because it's our channel. It's our yeah. shows. We're allowed to do whatever we want. And that's how I, I think, that's how I envisioned a podcast too. I wanted to get, I, I wasn't necessarily looking for the most famous people. I want, first of all, I want the old dogs. I want the ones that pave the way. I want the people who yeah. are able 
to make a living from their comedy and find out how they do it, not necessarily famous, but are able to get out of the grind of being a nine-to-five ham and egger. And then also the people who, like you, have been able to take comedy and do the lily pad thing and jump into other things because that is what I think new comedians need to have in their toolbox. And the biggest thing that I have found that I've talked to people like you who have gone into other things is when the opportunity came, you were ready for it. And that's what a lot of comics need to know because a lot of them aren't. When you had the, yeah. got the gig for uh, SNL for Weekend Update, you were ready for it. You'd been doing some writing, and you were able to do that. If your buddy said, okay, let's do this, and you wrote a bunch of shit, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have lasted very long. It's, yeah. it, the, being prepared is almost as important as being funny. And, and I think that's an art form that is being lost in in the generations is, and it's because of the internet, I think, is people don't want to be good at things. They just want to be famous. Oh, yeah. They wanna, they wanna yeah, be, they want to go right yeah, to the fame. My whole philosophy of wanting to do comedy was I just want to be the funniest that I can be. Yeah. I want to be as good of a comic as I can be. Mm-hmm. There was never a day one going, I want a theater in Vegas named after me. Yeah. Or I want to be, I don't even know, uh, 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 comedically, what are the goals is to perform in front of people. Yeah. But whether it's at this level or this level, you get to be in front of people. Yes, I would love to have an audience that know who I am so when I go on stage, they it just a robot popped up. Want to be famous? Question mark. Five followers, that. primes and views, and that's exactly what the problem with society is yeah. right now. That they think that these views on the show uh, it, it matters. It doesn't matter in the long run. In the long run, it matters what you put out there. Yeah, not how many people are on the the clicks right and all that shit because you can have a million views and fool me once i'll go oh my god this person must be amazing and then you go watch him and you go jesus that was awful yeah yeah and you might i've never heard of this guy you go and it's amazing yeah and it's all about it's all about that it's all about the uh putting out good work yeah trying to get better every time you can the people who like that stuff, the people who like the TikToks and like the YouTube sensations are the people who come to you after your act at the club and say, hey, I got a great joke for you. They think they know everything because they watch the YouTube video. And it, 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 I've seen it. it the, the, they're the very same people. They like that little clip and they think that from that they can make you funnier by giving you a suggestion. <laughs> I've had it happen. It's the way it is. 
It's, it's insane. Uh, Scott, I got to cut out. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, supposed to be jumping on something. Yeah, I, and I've actually got another one ready, too. I want to thank you for being on the podcast. It's been great talking to you. And everybody go to the Drinks, Jokes, and Storytelling channel. My show is just a clusterfuck, but it's a lot of fun. All the other shows um, are actually good. So, yeah, check that out. Thanks for being on the show, Mark. I appreciate it. Scott, you're the best. We got to have you on Drink Jokes and Storytelling. I'd be on. Yeah, that'll be fun. Thanks a lot. Have a good set tonight and good luck on your next uh, venture here, uh, whatever you're doing online. (laughs) Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Bye bye. Uh